Well, hey everyone, it is great to be with you. Welcome to Blackhawk. If I have not had the chance to meet you before, uh, my name is Lynn, I'm on staff. I work with our community group life and our marriage ministry. Uh, most Sundays, you can find me downtown. Hey downtown, what's up? Miss you guys today. Um, but I'm so glad to get to be here with all of you. So thanks for being here. And hey, I just wanna give a special shout out to anyone who's tuning in right now um, from home. Maybe you're watching online or listening to our podcast because you were simply too tired to come to church today. Um, honestly, if that's you, I get it. Like, I think it's that time of year where many of us are starting to feel it. Anybody out there tired today? Are you feeling it? We have any tired people? You know, when I think back in my life to a time when I was truly exhausted, really nothing compares with right after I had a baby. Right, I can still remember with my husband AJ and our newborn coming home from the hospital and it did not take long for us to go, what did we just do? <laughs> like, oh my goodness, there is nothing like a newborn in the house to keep you exhausted and dependent on coffee. There's nothing like it. You know, we were so tired, we actually used to joke with each other about how much we would pay for a nap. Like, you know what's bad when you're ready to pay money for a nap, when we'd be like, hey, would you pay like 10 bucks for a nap right now? And we're like, yep. How about 20? Yep. How about 30, 35, 40? And it's like, honestly, yes, like that's how tired we were. Now, some of you are going, hey, do you need a babysitter? Like, that sounds like pretty good. You know, but really we would joke about it because we were just so desperate for real sleep. You know, I kept a log in my phone. I would log any time that our son slept for a stretch of time. It's like three hours, three hours and 15 minutes. Finally, eight weeks in, he slept for four hours, right? We were slowly but surely becoming fully functioning humans again. What a season. You know, when, when I was in it, I remember my exhaustion. It felt like a really dominating feeling. It felt like it was never going to end. Well, AJ and I are expecting another baby this January, which we're super excited about. But at the same time, we're going, oh my goodness, there's another season like that coming. Like, we're gonna be exhausted again. The sleepless nights, like, they're coming back. Right, but this time it's different because, well, we've been through it before. We know that no matter how tired we may feel, it doesn't last forever, right? We understand this because our perspective has changed through our experience. You know, there are a lot of things in life uh, that have the potential to dominate us. When we're hungry, when we're tired, it can dominate us, right? When we're stressed, when we're anxious, when we're lonely, these types of things can dominate us. I've always been a journaler. Any journalers out there? Sometimes I look back at my old journals and I read about situations that I went through. And sometimes I look back and I go, man, like what was I talking about? Like who was that? How did that go down exactly? It was clearly a big deal. Yet today I'm going, I wish I gave myself more details. You see, my point is a lot of the time, things that are once our biggest focus, sometimes we actually forget them later on. There are things in our life right now that feel like the biggest deal, but someday we actually may not remember everything we went through. Things in life can dominate us, but especially when we go through something difficult, when we suffer. Um, for many of us, it can become the biggest thing in our minds. It's the biggest thing, and it's all that we can focus on. 
Well, today we are continuing uh, in our Philippians series, and we're looking at a passage that chances are many of us are familiar with. Um, We're looking at Paul's life, okay? He's a guy who faced the most unimaginable circumstances. Yet instead of being dominated by his circumstances, he was dominated by Christ's love for him. And what we can learn from Paul is that we can actually face any circumstances, no matter how difficult, when we are connected to Christ. No matter what we're going through, Jesus offers us a different perspective. So if you have your Bibles or if you have your phone, you can open up to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, and it starts uh, like this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Okay, so what exactly has happened to Paul? Well, how much time do you have? (laughs) Like, you could just cancel your brunch plans. I mean, we could be here for a while to talk about everything that Paul went through. After coming to faith in Christ, Paul went through it. I mean, he was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He faced times of hunger. He faced times of thirst. There were people who wanted him dead. He was imprisoned. I mean, the list goes on. Paul had been in and out of prison for the last four years. And prison in the ancient world, it was a nightmare. I mean, there was no mat to sleep on, no government clothes provided, no three meals a day or security. It would have been hot, filthy, and smelly. He would have been literally chained. And people died all the time in prison because the conditions were just so awful. So here Paul is, writing to the Philippians, and again, he's in prison. This time, it's likely house arrest somewhere in Rome. Now, we, we don't know all of the details, but we know that he's under careful watch. We know that he doesn't have his freedom. His suffering has been outrageous for a long time, yet here he writes, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. You see, he's writing to the Philippians to encourage them. He's saying, look, you don't have to worry about me. Like, I'm good. The gospel is advancing. The gospel's going forward. It's like, wait, like what? Like, what do you mean this is a good thing? The gospel's advancing. Like, you're our guy and you're in prison. How can this be a good thing? You see, it's hard for us to understand or imagine this because when we hear of Paul's circumstances, it sounds like a nightmare. Yet he didn't see it that way. He saw it as an opportunity for the gospel to go forward. What we're already seeing is that Paul, he had a different way of thinking. He was all about the mission. He was sold out to it. He was mission-minded. We keep reading um, in verse 13. And as a result... It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Okay, the palace guard, you guys, the palace guard was massive. They were called the Praetorian Guard. They weren't just regular guards. These guys were elite. Okay, you could compare them with like the Secret Service or the Navy SEALs. All right, these were the top guys. They were put there to guard the emperor. They had power. They had status. They made more money. They were a big deal. And here Paul is in prison. And he would have been meeting these guys and like interacting with them on the job. 
You know, they were there to guard him. In fact, he was literally chained to a guard for four hours at a time, 24-7. And to think that all the while as that guard sat there chained to Paul, they were hearing all about the gospel. They were hearing about Jesus. I mean, for Paul, this would have been amazing. You know, just imagine it. Picture the shift change happening. Picture one guard showing up, the other's clocking off. It's like, hey, it's your turn to be chained to him. And all the while they're going, what's with this guy? Like, what's, what is this gospel he keeps talking about? Who, like, who is this Jesus? If we look uh, to the end of Paul's letter in Philippians, verse 422 says this, all God's people here send you greetings especially those who belong to Caesar's household. What this verse tells us is that some of the guards came to faith in Christ. Okay, we don't know how many, but we know that some of them did, and we know that the entire palace guard took notice of Paul. You know, we've got to remember that Paul, he was just another prisoner, yet they were noticing him. He stood out to them. He was different than anyone that they'd ever imprisoned before. You know, Paul, he was in prison, he was suffering, yet God was using him in this massive way. We keep reading uh, in verse 14. He says, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have been co become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Okay, so people inside the prison are hearing about Jesus. People outside the prison are now hearing about Jesus. This is exactly what Paul wanted. People were becoming even more bold, sharing their own faith because of the example that Paul set for them. So Paul is writing to them and he's like, look at what's happening. Like, I didn't plan to be here. I didn't plan to be in prison, but good thing I am. The gospel is going forward. You see, Paul, he was mission-minded. You know, we hear his circumstances and it sounds like, who would want that? That sounds terrible. Yet to Paul, it was actually a win. Prison did not dominate him because what he cared about most was the gospel going forward and that's exactly what was happening. Let's keep reading. We'll pick up uh, in verse 18. It says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. This is a radical perspective. I love how Paul puts it. And you know what? I actually love the message version of this. And so I just want to share with you how the message version puts these same verses. It says, everything happening to me in this jail only serves to make Christ more accurately known, regardless of whether I live or die. They didn't shut me up. They gave me a platform. Alive, I am Christ's messenger and dead, I'm his prize. Life versus even more life, I can't lose. He says life versus even more life. You guys, Paul was in a terrible situation. Yet he was actually rejoicing. It's like he thought differently about suffering because his whole view of life flowed out of being connected to Christ. 
He knows that no matter what happens to him, he is going to spend eternity with Jesus. So he's saying, I either get life now in Jesus or I die and I get to literally be with Jesus. He's saying it's staying here on mission or it's going to be with Christ. And for Paul, that was a win-win situation. That's why he says, I cannot lose. And even as he's there in prison, he's actually rejoicing. Now, look, I, I just want to pause right here. And I want to be honest with you that when I read a passage like this, I mean, Paul, he just, he feels sort of like a superhuman. <laughs> I mean, I love Jesus, but wow, you guys, I can get turned upside down pretty quickly when things start going wrong. You know, I've, I've never been shipwrecked before, <laughs> but if the circumstances are right, I can lose my focus. I can get off track. It is not always my first reaction to rejoice when suffering comes my way. It can feel hard to relate to Paul. You know, my circumstances, they can dominate me. And it seems pretty clear that Paul, he endured a lot, yet somehow he had joy. So let's talk about that. Like, how did he do that? How did Paul have so much joy while going through such difficulty? Look, we're not in prison for our faith. And chances are most of us here tuning in, we, we don't live our lives in fear every day for the fact that we are a believer. But I know that many of us are suffering right now. In fact, some of you listening right now may be right at the edge. I'm betting that there are college students listening right now who are ready to drop out. You're going, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here. I think I made a mistake. I shouldn't be on this campus. I bet that there are some of you right now who are in a job where you feel so stuck and you'd do anything for a new opportunity, but you, you don't have choices with where you're at. There are those of us who are lonely. There are those of us right now where we or someone we love is in a battle with sickness physically, mentally, and it's like there's just no clear end to the journey. It's just appointment after appointment, diagnosis after diagnosis. There are those of us today who are grieving someone we love and those of us who look maybe at your life and you just go, I don't know how I ended up where I am today. How, how did this happen? No, there's a reality that for all of us, there are gonna be times in life where we feel like we're drowning, where it feels like our circumstances are up to here and we are just struggling to keep our head up above it. I mean, have you been there before? Like, have you had a time in your life where you're like, I'm, I'm at capacity right now. If one more thing goes wrong, I think I could crumble. I don't think I could handle it. Honestly, I've been there, I've been dominated, I've been terrified by my circumstances, I've felt before like I'm drowning. So how, how did Paul do this? How did he have such joy while going through disaster? I think it's important for us to be clear about what exactly Paul's joy was. You see, to have joy is not the same thing as just like extreme positive thinking. 
Like Paul is not downplaying his suffering. He's not pretending that things are actually not as bad as they are. He's not encouraging like a toxic positivity. Toxic positivity is like that overwhelming pressure to just stay positive. You know, it's positive vibes only. It's the attitude of, oh, well, it could always be worse. (laughs) When AJ and I were home with our newborn, and exhausted, the last thing that we needed was someone to say to us, oh, just wait, someday you'll be well rested again. It's like, yeah, that's not really very helpful right now. You and your eight hours of sleep, you look like you've brushed your hair, you look like you brushed your teeth, like that's just not really helpful right now. What we need, we need sleep. When we're going through something painful, the last thing any of us need to feel is like we need to downplay it or pretend that we're fine. And so it's important for us to know today that Paul, he was not ignoring his suffering. He wasn't just pretending that he was fine when really he wasn't. If you are going through something big today, please hear this. It is okay to not be okay. If you are going through something right now and you are not okay, it is okay to not be okay. If you are not okay, please do not ever feel like you need to pretend that you are fine. That's the last thing that I want you to hear. In fact, I think we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves, especially as Christians, to always be doing well, to act like it's all good when really, like underneath, we're barely hanging on. But when when the bottom in life falls out, When our circumstances come crashing down on us, when the rug is pulled out from underneath us, sometimes we are not going to be okay. And that's okay. There is a reality that we can struggle, we can grieve, we can lament, and at the same time, we can have a deep joy in Christ. That's what Paul is showing us. You see, Paul's joy, it wasn't dependent on anything that he was going through. His joy had roots so much deeper than that. We're going to learn about that as we keep reading in verse 21. He says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Okay, you guys, verse 21 is a big one. My guess is many of us came in today, probably you've heard this verse. Some of us may even have it memorized. So we're gonna actually look at it in two parts. And the first part um, is, it goes like this. It says, for to me, to live is Christ. Okay, so what, what exactly is Paul saying here? What does that mean to live is Christ? Well, Paul actually explains this really well in another letter that he wrote to the Galatians. So we're actually just gonna step out of Philippians for a minute to see this. Here's what Paul says, Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what happens the moment we come to believe. 
If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe that he lived, that he died, that he resurrected, that it is through Jesus that we have access to God, when you come to a place of believing in Jesus, Christ, he comes to live inside of you the moment that takes place. If you believe in him, he's alive inside of you. See, it's, it's not that Paul didn't struggle. He faced massive struggles. But he tapped into a joy that comes when we begin to grasp that Christ is alive inside of us. It changed him. He's going, this is no longer me. Like, this is Christ. It doesn't matter what happens to me because what matters is that Christ is alive in me and that changes everything. Look, I, uh, I am pregnant um, and I've known it uh, for a while, uh, since like early May is when we found out. I've known that I'm pregnant, but there was a moment where things changed, where I went from just knowing it to actually feeling it. Like this baby is on the move, you guys. <laughs> like I'm feeling kicks, I'm feeling punches. I haven't even had anything spicy yet today. Just wait till after lunch. It's like this baby is moving. I've moved from just knowing about this life to having a deep, undeniable awareness of it. In fact, my attention is constantly drawn back to it all day long, every hour, even now as I'm up here speaking to all of you, I also have an awareness of this life and this thing that's happening. It's more than just knowing it. I have a deep sense, I have an awareness. I think that's kind of what Paul is actually getting at. You see, for many of us, we've been walking with Jesus, maybe for a long time, maybe not so long yet, but we have an awareness, like we know that Christ lives in us. But what Paul is saying, what he's showing us, is that there's more to it than just knowing it. It's more than just knowing it. That's why he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The more that we get this, the more in tune we are with this reality, the more that we dwell on this truth, the deeper our sense of joy can become. We can actually begin to sense Christ is in me. Christ is alive in me. We can begin to feel him and experience him moving in our lives. We experience that especially as we live on mission. No matter what we may be going through, nothing can take away the deep sense of joy that comes from knowing that Christ is alive in me. So Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ. He's saying, that is my joy, that I have Christ no matter what. Part two says this, says, and to die is gain. Okay, first, it's important to know uh, that Paul is not making a death wish here. This is not him wishing for his own death at all, but what he is saying is that he knows that when he dies, whenever that will be, he knows he will be fully joined with Christ. It's like, it's like he just can't wait to be with Jesus. This is our hope as believers. This is our hope for our own lives, for those we love, that one day we are going to get to literally be with Jesus. Now look, I, I love Jesus and I look forward to that day, but at the same time, I mean, I'll be honest, it's, it's hard for me to imagine it. It's hard 
for me to imagine my, my own death and what that future will be like. And in some ways, death can feel kind of like a consolation prize. It's like, well, there's life. And then, yeah, death will be good. I'll be with Jesus. But like, it's not life. Yet Paul is saying just the opposite. He's saying death will be the ultimate prize because we will get to be with Jesus forever. For Paul, he, he actually couldn't decide which would be better, <laughs> staying here on mission or going to be with Christ. Here's what he writes in verse 25. He says, I know that I will remain. I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. You see, Paul is in no hurry to die because he loves the Philippians deeply and he wants to see their transformation. He wants to see their joy increase. You know, I talk to people all the time who say that they want to be transformed to be more like Christ. People want to be transformed. It's, it's a good thing. Like at Blackhawk, we are all about that. We want to see lives transformed by the gospel, transformed in community. But you know what I never hear people say? I've never heard someone say that they want to suffer. You know, nobody wants to suffer. We actually plan our lives in a way to avoid as much suffering as we possibly can. You know, we want to avoid suffering, yet there's something exceptional that God can do in us when we suffer. Now, I want to be super clear here that yes, God uses our suffering, but God does not cause our suffering. Some people say this, and I'm just going to say it. That's not true. That's not true. Some of you right now, you've got something going on in your life. And I mean, you were debating coming to church today because you're thinking, did God cause this thing to happen to me? I just don't know if I can. The truth is God does not cause our suffering. But when we suffer, he can use it. He can use it to transform us in ways beyond what we can imagine when we suffer. That's exactly what happened for Paul. Paul went through years of tremendous suffering, yet God used it to bring this joy and transformation about in him. When I think about people in my own life, some of the most mature and joyful Christ followers that I've ever known are people who have gone and are currently going through tremendous suffering. God didn't cause it, but he can use it. He can transform us through our suffering. If there's something in your life right now you're going through, you're like, what, what is God doing? Pray that God would show you what he wants to do in you. Pray that he would transform you as you walk through it. When I think back to uh, my freshman year in college, it was one of the hardest seasons in my life. At that time, I was in a strange new city. Uh, my family was going through divorce. I was going through a painful breakup. I was depressed. Uh, honestly, I, I could hardly leave my dorm room that year. I remember sitting in my bed, looking out the window, and I could see all the people doing all the fun things, and it's like, I just literally couldn't go join them. I was not well. You could say that my circumstances had, had dominated me. Well, that same year, I heard about an event uh, for college students called the Passion Conference. It was happening down in Atlanta. It happens every year where thousands of college students from all over the nation come together and actually worship. And so on a whim, I still don't know why, on a whim, I signed up to go, not knowing what it would be like. Here's a picture um, from the gathering that year. 
all right? So all of a sudden, there I was, surrounded by thousands of believers in worship. One of those little dots right up in there, that's me, little Lenny as a freshman somewhere in that photo. And honestly, I went to this event thinking, God, would you just, would you use this conference to help me? I thought, this is gonna help me with my suffering. I thought the preachers are gonna say some things that are gonna make me feel like I'm not drowning, like I can do this. But instead, it wasn't about my suffering at all. In fact, there was no mention of it. Instead, all of the focus was on simply praising God for who he is and for the life that we have in him. And something happened to me in that stadium. Something clicked for me in a new way. And I realized that for the very first time in my life, I was worshiping God in a way that I'd never done before because I was setting aside my circumstances and I was just choosing to fully worship God. And it changed me. You know, I came home after the conference, nothing in my life changed. I was still in the same mess. I had a long road ahead of me, yet I changed. My perspective changed. It's like the dial was slowly turning inside of me that I was beginning to see that I can have joy no matter what I'm going through because Christ, he is alive in me. Now, honestly, I struggle with this. To this day, most days, it is really hard for me to set my circumstances aside and fully worship Jesus. Like, I don't know about you, but we're singing the songs and I'm like also thinking like, oh, I got this other thing coming up. I'm worried about this. I'm stressed about that. It is really hard for me to set my circumstances aside. You know, and this event, it was years ago. Like, I can't just go to a conference every time I'm struggling. What I've come to find is that there are some things that I can do right here to recenter myself on Jesus. Paul did it from prison. I'm pretty sure we can do it wherever we are. What I've come to find is that there are things I can do, like first of all, being in community. <laughs> I'm in a group. I meet with this group weekly. We love each other deeply. We share the hardest parts of our life with each other. We pray for one another. And on top of that, I'm going to church every week. <laughs> yes, every week. And it's not just because I'm on staff, although it's true, if I stop coming, there's, there's probably a conversation coming for me. <laughs> but I come every week. Because the truth is, I need this. Like, I need this gathering because there is something powerful that happens when we come together as the family of God. When as brothers and sisters, we choose to come together to worship, it draws me more and more into the presence of Jesus than anything else. So I keep coming back. And I'm gonna keep coming back. If you are going through something today, if you are not okay today, my biggest, best encouragement to you is to keep coming back. If you're online right now and you have the ability to come, come back. If you're listening somewhere right now, come back because when we come together, God does something powerful. He's with us. We can be reminded when we come together that no matter what circumstances we face, nothing can dominate us when we are reminded of Christ's great love for us. So right now, I wanna ask you to just think. You probably won't have to think too hard about this. What is it in your life right now that is dominating? What is it right now that you are up against that is pulling for all of your attention, for all of your focus? 
Maybe it's a difficulty. Whatever it may be, I want you to name it. And I want, you, I want to invite you to join me in just setting it aside for just for now so that we could fully just enter into worshiping Jesus together, that we would lift our eyes from our pain, from what we're going through, and to lift our eyes to Jesus. We're not dismissing the pain. We're not pretending that it isn't there. But instead, we are choosing right now to recenter ourselves, to recenter our minds on Jesus. It's hard to do, but it's powerful. God's love for us is so much greater than our circumstances. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for Paul's example. Thank you for the fact that you are a good God who loves us more than we can possibly imagine. And that though you do not cause our suffering, God, I thank you that you use it. I thank you that you are powerful and that you can bring us joy and transformation through things that you never intended for us. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for the people listening who are at the edge right now where the bottom of life has truly fallen. And God, I pray that you would give them hope today. And I pray that you would help us all as we're about to worship. Would you help us to in this moment just set our distractions, set the dominating things aside? And would you help us to just experience you, experience the joy, to dwell on the reality that Christ is alive in us when we believe in you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.